0: Now, once you've got a great-looking cell phone case and you've got a selfie stick, obviously you're ready to take lots of pictures. So it's not surprising that the other three items in the top five list of uh, top gift recommendations all had to do with looking beautiful in some way. So you've got a makeup kit, and there were different variations on that. Uh, Nail art kits, so uh, you want to have amazing-looking nails. And uh, hair chalk so that you can streak your hair a different color, of, uh, a different color every day of the week and uh, just wash it out and start over again. You have a fresh uh, palette to get started. So th- this is important context as we come to uh, our passage today. I'm not suggesting that Mary was obsessing over either selfie sticks, uh, cell phone covers, or, or hair and beauty products, but she was a normal 13-year-old girl. She had normal hopes and dreams and interests, and and when she's presented with a gift, like she has some ideas of, of what might be nice to get, you know, maybe it's a camel, maybe it's a, a a new donkey, maybe you know, there's just some different things that she would think of if you said gift. Um, God has blessed you. God has favored you. There would be certain things that might come to mind, and so as as we. Uh, look at, at, at today's passage, it's, it's with that, uh, that sense that, that she's just an, a normal girl and she would have some, uh, be, be thinking normal uh, about some of the normal things that, that girls think about. As we look at the passage today, uh, we see an angel offer uh, Mary the very first Christmas gift and it's a gift that comes on God's terms. It's not the average kind of gift that a, a, a normal 13-year-old girl would be, would be thinking of, about or even attracted to. And, and it's important to notice that. She struggles to first understand what God is offering her. And there's, there's some, certain questions around that. And then to understand how it is that God could be offering this to her. And, but even once she's figured out the, the what and the how, she needs to still respond to, uh, to to this gift? What what will she do with it? And so there's a struggle of, of faith also. If we're going to enjoy the Christmas story and we're going to enjoy God's gift at Christmas, we're probably going to have to deal with those same issues. We're going to have to deal with the what of, what is it that God is really offering us? We're going to have to deal with some of the difficulties involved in that, The the how. How is it that God could could work in our lives. And, and, and then finally, we need to respond to, to the gift. What do we do with it? Will we uh, respond in, in faith, or, uh, or, or how, how will we, we come to terms with it? So those are the, the questions Mary's, Mary's going to deal with. Those are the questions that we often struggle with. And so we're looking to, to the scriptures today for some help in working through those issues that we might be able to enjoy Christmas as God had intended. If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd encourage you to turn with me as we've been uh, looking through Luke's gospel today. We're, we'll look uh, at verses 26 to 38. Uh, and so uh, if you would turn there, Luke chapter 1, verse. Uh, start reading at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, this scene opens up for us six months after the, the scene that we saw last, last week with Zechariah, and, and it's an important marker for us because Luke, I believe, intends us to read both of these stories right next to each other. So if you were here last week, it helps to have some of that story in your mind. You're supposed to be reading this account and saying, seeing how much is similar, but also to see where those stories are very different with Zechariah, the angel appeared to him in Israel's ancient capital. He was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple, and in fact, in the, the holy place in the temple. It's the kind of place where, if you were ever going to see an angel, that's kind of where you would, you would expect to, to, to meet one. In a, in a special place, in an ancient capital, in a, in, a, in a holy place, in a holy room in that holy place. This story is different. With with this account, the same angel appears, but he appears in this backward, rural town called Nazareth. There's a clue of how just how backward it is in that Luke actually has to describe where it is. It's, it's uh, that, that Nazareth that's in a, a, a region called, called Galilee. It's, it's one of the cities there. It's a hint that even in the first century, many people wouldn't have been able to find it on a map. Nothing... Import never happened in Nazareth. Most people had never heard of it because it just never was big enough or important enough or interesting enough to ever make it onto anyone's radar. It's not the kind of place where you think that an angel will appear or that anything remarkable will happen. But an angel named Gabriel appears to a woman named Mary. Interestingly, before we learn her name, she's just called the Virgin twice, twice. I mean, you don't normally introduce people like that, right? You don't say, uh, and here's a virgin. And uh, and uh, this uh, virgin here, um, her name, by the way, is. we don't normally introduce. That would be considered impolite. I mean, that's not just a Canadian thing. Just about anywhere in, in the world, when you introduce someone, you kind of go with the name. You don't really relate their sexual history, okay? <laughs> that's that's not the way you normally do it. But for Luke, this is important. Twice before we get her name, we are er, told she's a virgin, It's important to the story. Now in verse 28, the angel approaches Mary with this grandiose greeting. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And before we just read read on and carry on with the passage, I think we need to step back and to recognize what she doesn't do at this point. Because I can imagine an angel appearing to a lot of just very normal 13-year-old girls today, and, like, he'd out his greetings, oh, favored one, line with them, and they'd be like, yeah, like, whatever. I, you know, I don't, like, they just, they just blow the angel off, right? Like, it, it's not, not even just for, for young girls. When I talk to many, and you do this as well, you talk to many adults today, and you talk about God's favor and, and God's gift, and their eyes just glaze over, like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to really get involved in this kind of conversation. I, I've had people tell me when I, I'll, I'll, I'll start talking to them about God, and they'll say, "You know what? I just whatever. It is, whenever I start to, to, to get involved in conversations about God, my head hurts, and I really, I just don't want to go down there." You know, like it's honest, but it's important to note that Mary doesn't do that. She doesn't just blow off the angel; she engages. And uh, she enters into the, to the conversation. But she doesn't immediately understand it either. She thinks, highly favored. I don't feel all that remarkable. I don't feel particularly favored. It doesn't feel like I'm in a remarkable place in my life or uh, anything particularly remarkable is happening to me. And So she's, she's starting to question, what, what, what's this all about? What does this greeting mean? I think sometimes we can read the Bible as if it's an account of these superhuman, super religious people, and we conclude, that happened to them, and they might have just accepted that freely, but I'm more objective. I'm a little bit more experienced. Um, and, and, and even as we're patting ourselves on the back thinking, we're, we're more logical, verse 29 shows us that's not true. It says there, Mary was greatly troubled. It's a word that speaks of being agitated, like, like she's, something is churning inside her, trying to figure out what it is that is going on right now. And then it says she tries to discern what the angel means by the greeting. It's a word that speaks of deep reflection. She is, she's trying to process, what, what is he saying to me right now, and what does it mean? What, what's actually taking place right now? And I think often we don't do that today. We don't put down the phone. We don't take off the headphones long enough to really process what God is trying to say to us. We learn from Mary that when God speaks, we, we take a step back. We listen, we process, we try to discern. We engage, we think. Now, as the angel sees that Mary is listening, he spells out what he means. In verse 31, he announces... She'll have a son who will be named Jesus, and Jesus was a common enough name. It's just the Greek form of a popular Hebrew name, uh, Joshua. She would have. It, it wasn't like it was some magical name or some particularly new name. But in Matthew one twenty one, we're told that the child is given that name because he will save his people from their sins. It's a picture initially that we get of this child that will be a rescuer, someone who will deal with the human sin problem. In verse 32, she's told that he'll be called the son of the Most High. The Most High is just an Old Testament, one of the Old Testament names of God. And been, she's been told that this child will have a unique relationship with him. It, it, it's, it's not clear exactly what that unique relationship is until we uh, carry on further in, the, in, in, in his description. She also learns that he's the promised ruler, the king like David, the, the son of David who would rule. It's the Messiah that had been prophesied. But he can't just be a regular human ruler because according to verse 33, he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. He, he's, a, he's a king, yes, but not just, he's not going to just rule for his lifetime. He's not just going to rule for a long time. He will rule for all time. He, he rules over an eternal kingdom. I think we need to remind ourselves again about the list that I mentioned to you earlier and the fact that this isn't the kind of gift that your average 13-year-old asks for, either today or at any period in history. And it's not the kind of gift that most of us would ask for either, if we're honest. Maybe some of you this Christmas have made up a a list for God of things that maybe you're not going to come right out and say it, but you kind of have in the back of your mind some things that you're hoping from God this Christmas. Maybe you're asking God for a better job, for a calmer marriage. Maybe you're asking for a different body or an offer of admission to the right university. Those are just normal things that we we hope for and we aspire to. Those are things that we would love to have. Surely Mary had her wish list of hopes and dreams as well. The question we need to ask though at Christmas is, what do we do if God gives us a different gift? What if what God gives us and offers us isn't on the list? What do you do with that? If you trust in God's wisdom and goodness, you need to ask yourself some questions, right? Someone said, what if I get three gifts this Christmas? And they're from three very close friends. The first gift, I open it up, and it's a big box. And it's actually, a, this, this box is full of a year's supply of hair loss, hair loss tonic called Rogaine. Okay? But I'm thinking, wow, that wasn't on the list. But that's that's an interesting gift. Okay, then I open up the second uh, the second package, and it's a little smaller. But in the second package, there's a book. It's How to Lose 50 Pounds in 50 Days. I'm thinking, that's again, that wasn't on my list. But that's an interesting gift. And then I get to the third book, uh, third present, and it's also shaped like the other one. I open up, of course, it's a book, and this one is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Now after I finished opening up those three gifts I'm faced with a decision right I either have to come to the conclusion maybe I got the wrong gifts maybe my friends had intended to give these gifts to my neighbor or a friend or someone else um, but maybe maybe that was one maybe that was the case or I might come to the conclusion ah, you know, I really trusted and respected these friends in many ways. But maybe they don't, they don't know me as well as I thought, I, thought they knew me. Okay, that, that could be an option that you take. But if you don't uh, choo- choose one of those first two options, you probably have to come to the conclusion that you are bald, fat, and obnoxious. Those, those would be the other, uh, another way of, of interpreting those gifts. That uh, you you you're you're losing hair fast. They they think that you need to lose weight, and they also feel that you need to work on your interpersonal skills. That that could be a very natural conclusion that you would you would draw from three gifts given to people given to you by friends that you trust and respect and otherwise appreciate. Now I think at Christmas we're faced with a very similar decision because Christmas isn't primarily about giving you a better job. It's not primarily about giving you a calmer marriage or a different body or an offer of admission to the university that you'd hoped for. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But that's not what Christmas is. That doesn't show up in any of the accounts. That's not what God gave us. Instead, the message of Christmas is that God gave us a gift that wasn't on anybody's list. God gave us a gift, first of all, of someone to rescue us from our sins and someone to be an eternal king to guide and lead us into his will. If that wasn't on our wish list this year and God gave it to us anyway, we need to face some hard questions about ourselves. To experience the reality of Christmas, we need to admit certain things. We need to admit that the problem with sin is the defining issue in our lives. That a solution to that and a rescue from that is the most fundamental thing in our lives that we most desperately need. And we need to admit that God has given us a king because... All of us just trying to do our own thing, to walk our own way, even when we're trying to do the right thing, just making it up as we go along is anarchy that is killing us. We have to conclude that we need a king, that we need someone who would guide us into God's plan for our lives. I think that many people try to live as Christians, try to live even the Christian life, without really coming to terms with the gift that God has given us and what it indicates about who we are and where the focus of our lives God intends to be. A 13-year-old girl named Mary pondered these things. She thought deeply about them. She tried to discern them, and she churned them over in her mind until she felt she had grasped them. She didn't let the gift that she had hoped for get in the way of the gift that God had given her. And so my question is, have you done that? Have you somehow left the gift that God has offered you on a shelf? It's nice. I might sing sing a few songs about it this Christmas, but it's not ever really become your gift in a life-defining way. Or even if at some point you felt that it had, you've gotten so focused on your wish list that it really doesn't, doesn't really make the top 10 for you. That gift that God has given you in his son doesn't really seem to have a lot of prominence because you've kind of moved on and you're thinking about other things and you're worried about other problems. If you have considered the, God, the gift that God has offered you, you understand what it is and what the implications are, you may still need to deal with the difficulties that keep you from enjoying it because there are, there are issues. We, we, face, we face problems. Some people reject what God wants to do in their lives because they think they have some either practical or intellectual objection that like nobody has ever dealt with before. They're the first person that's ever, ever faced this. And, and so it feels like that gift is for other people. We need to deal with the difficulties that keep us from enjoying God's gift. Now, I love the question that Mary asks, and and it's encouragement to me that she asks it in verse 34. She says, like, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's not doubting God here the way Zechariah did, but she's genuinely perplexed. She's asking, how does this work? Like, how does this all come together? Some of you are asking the same thing. You think, I like a lot of Jesus' teachings. Some of the things he says are are, are really like like amazing. I, I'm I'm into that, but the miracles often are just too out there for me. Like they they're too hard to swallow. I can't really get my head around it or even uh just just be convinced that, that some of those things are true. Maybe some of you think that the idea of the virgin birth, like, that was okay for primitive people. Maybe in the first century that was kind of an easy thing to deal with, but you're more sophisticated than that. You, 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 you're more logical. You're more rational. You've taken grade 10 biology, for goodness sake, so you, you know some things about things, right? You know that just doesn't happen. And so you read about things like that, and you say, Paul, I kind of was tracking with you until you got to that virgin birth part, and that's, I just, you know what, I'm, I'm better than that. What I want you to see in this passage is that Mary was more confused about the m- virgin birth than you probably ever have been. There had been prophes- prophecies in Isaiah, but this, this couldn't have been on her radar. The idea of God supernaturally entering our world through a baby, supernaturally impregnating a virgin woman. This was, this was a hard thing to take in in the first century and in every century since. It's just hard to, to deal with. And unlike you, it was her life. It was her reputation that was at stake. She had so much to lose. And, and so this was so much more difficult for her to believe than it is For you or for I. But I love the fact that she doesn't throw up her hands and say, Well, that's just craziness. That's just impossible. I'm I'm above that. Like that that couldn't be true. She simply asks, How? How how does this work? I'm not not denying it. I just I want I want a little bit more clarity here. And I love this passage because it, it, it gives us encouragement that God loves to provide answers to people who humbly seek him. If you've got a genuine objection and you've come to God in humility, seeking him for answers, God is a kind of, pers- kind of-, God, is a kind of God that loves to respond. He loves to answer. Look at the simple phrase of hope in verse 35. And the angel answered her. That doesn't mean the answers are simple. How do you explain the virgin birth to a 13-year-old girl when there are scholars today who have spent their entire lives poring over it and trying to understand and debate and analyze the details? At least the basics are clear. The angel explains the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary. God's power will overshadow her. This is language picked up from the Old Testament where where God, describing God's powerful and supernatural working in the world. The re- result is a, a child who is called holy. That is, the child is characterized and even identified by this complete separate, separateness, separated from sin, separated from the worldliness that would otherwise uh, uh, influence a, a, a young child. He's the son of God. Now, today, people try and explain the virgin birth away by. If you look in in, in this passage, the, the word virgin appears three times, and they say, "Well, virgin." When it says virgin, maybe it was just a very young woman who wasn't married. That's all that they're saying. Like, it wasn't like she wasn't, you know, when virgin, it wasn't really that, you know, um, and and they'll 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 point to the word to do that, but. If you see the word virgin appear three times in your translation, actually the third time, it's a different word. It's a phrase that that often, in order to explain it and avoid confusion, they just put virgin. But it's actually a, a much more explicit phrase that's used there. Literally, she says, how will this be since I don't even know a man? And... It's a, it was a very clear indication to anyone in the first century. Like, I don't know a man in, in any kind of intimate or physical way. Like, how could that even be? It, it goes. It, it takes a, uh, a, a word and explains it in a phrase so that there would be no confusion, there could be no mistake. Unlike Zechariah, Mary doesn't ask for further proof at this point. She doesn't say... And I know you're an angel and everything, but if you could just dazzle me with something, that would kind of make it easier for me to believe. She doesn't do that. But interestingly, angel freely gives her further proof anyway. He tells her that her relative Elizabeth, who is a senior citizen at this point, she's not been able to have children all her life, and now miraculously, she's six months pregnant. He knows that the miraculous... miraculous nature of both of these births will draw the women together so they're able to support and encourage one another. Probably the angel's most powerful explanation comes in verse 37. Though He says simply, for nothing will be impossible with God. What he's saying is that you've been asking how this could happen. Like, how does this all work? I know that how babies typically come about. But the answer is that God can do whatever he wants. Nothing is impossible with God. And, and God had already said something similar to Abraham in, in Genesis 18.14 when he promised that his elderly, barren wife would amazingly and miraculously have a child born to, born to her. At that time, he had said, is anything too hard for the Lord? If you accept that there is an all-powerful, creator God that makes all that we see out of nothing, then the idea of a virgin birth really isn't all that difficult after all. The difficulty, much greater difficulty, is, is conceding that there is an all-powerful God. Once we accept that, if God created the universe, he created the rules that govern the universe, and he can bend and shape and direct those, those rules and step in and out of them Wherever he pleases. Ultimately, people question the virgin birth because they question God. Denial of the miraculous birth is a denial of God's miraculous powers and abilities. God wants us to expen- experience the wonder of Christmas as He had intended it, and we do that as we consider the gift that God has offered us. We don't blow it off and and, and get fixated in a different direction. We. We, we listen, we ponder, we think. We deal with the difficulties that keep us from enjoying it. We, we humbly ask questions, we deal with it. We don't just let them forever stand between us and moving forward in our relationship with God. But once we've underst- understood the what, what God's gift is, and, and we've asked and dealt with some of the difficulties, the how of uh, how God does this, we still need to decide what we're going to do with it how we will respond to and deal with the gift that God has offered us. By faith, we decide whether we'll keep holding out for our own wish list or whether we will acknowledge that God knows me better than I know myself. He's good. He's wise. And if, if he's given me a gift, then this must be the gift that I needed. He must have given me, in fact, the best gift. Again, Mary here sets an example for us. She's been told that God's gift to her is an unwanted pregnancy, an unexpected pregnancy. She's been told that God's gift to her will likely come with being publicly shamed. She would have every reason to believe that her fiancé, Joseph, would walk away at the news or more, more likely instigate proceedings that would cause her greater disgrace. His abandonment would mean poverty, loneliness, and disgrace. So, sizing all of that up, how is Mary going to respond? What's she going to say when the angel announces what the gift is? Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold. Behold is a word that you use when you want to tell a person... Like, this is important. This is serious, so I want you to, to, to take note of this. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's this picture of simple faith. It's this image of a glad and willing submission. She doesn't understand how it all, all work out. She couldn't possibly understand at this point. More questions than answers, right? But she trusts God implicitly. She submits to his purposes wholeheartedly. She believes in the one who is giving her these words, and so she can rest in them. It'd be this huge emotional toll that came with giving birth to the Savior, right? And once he's born and he begins his ministry, as he grows and and begins, Mary largely fades from the scene. She steps into the background, but she gladly and unreservedly plays the part God asks of her. She decides that an unexpected pregnancy is better than a selfie stick or a new makeup kit or even a new camel. She puts those things aside and says, God has given me what I most need right now. She knows that the pregnancy is better even though it sounds much, much worse because that's what God has offered her. And she knows that God can be trusted. Famous conductor and composer Leonard Bernstein auditioned hundreds, perhaps thousands of people for uh, his orchestras and, and different projects over the years. He was once asked, which instrument is hardest to play? He'd met all kinds of musicians and performers. And without hesitation, he answered, second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists. But to find one who plays second fiddle, second violin, with as much passion and enthusiasm, that's the problem. Mary played second fiddle to Jesus' first violin, and she did it with poise and with grace. She bore much cost, and then she stepped into the background. Many people will spend Christmas discouraged at their second fiddle life. Disappointed that God hasn't given them what was on their list. And Mary reminds us that God has given us the best gift. He's given us what we truly need, and he's given that to us in his son. Often, the problem with, is with our, with our wish list. Or at least that the wish list has become central and focused When the gift that God has offered us should take center place. When the angel told Zechariah he would have a son, he didn't believe. And the angel said, okay, you want want further proof and you're not going to believe what I say? For the next nine months, you won't be able to speak. Interestingly, at the end of this story, Mary responds with great faith. And the angel this time is left speechless. It's not like he's made unable to speak, but the account ends with the angel just walking away. And I picture him walking away, like shaking his head. I can't believe what she just said. Like, I can't believe the faith that she just expressed. At her age and with all of the cost that, that, that would be required of her, that, that answer, that response was not something that, that uh, could have been expected. The question is, do you share her faith? Have you really considered the gift that God has offered you? Or have you let let your own wish list get in the way? Do you have questions? The passage encourages us to humbly bring them to God. The passage encourages us that God loves to answer questions chances are you're not the first person to have asked them. But once you've understood what it is that God has offered you, once you've dealt with the questions that you had and how God would, would seek to work in your life, we still need to respond. We give ourselves to God and to his plan the way Mary did, in simple faith, in simple submission to his plan for us. And we let him lead us into the full, full riches of the Christmas gift that he would prepared. Let's look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we all have our lists. And though we think that we would often wear you out with bringing them before you, we are still amazed that you are so patient with us. You're so generous with us. You, you do respond and you do grant us so many things that we, we ask you for and everything that we need. But you've offered us the most precious gift and so often we won't slow down enough to enjoy it. Would you focus our attention on Jesus Christ? Would you help us to see how he is the one our hearts truly seek? Help us to see how he is the solution for the challenges we keep bringing before you. And help us to submit our lives to him as our Savior and as our King. For we praise you and we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.